Over the last two decades, I've been on a quest to learn everything I can about leadership, obsessed with what makes the best leaders so good. After running companies small and large for the last 20 years, today I speak on stages all across the world to audiences who are interested in that same question. My name's John Laredo, and I'm your host. I invite you to join me on this journey as we explore this topic, what makes the best leaders so good. Welcome to Tomorrow's Leader. All right, welcome to today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader, where we dive deep on all things leader-related, related to leading yourself and leading others. I am John Laredo, your host on this uh, rainy kind of dreary day, but that's okay. Today, maybe when you're listening to it, it's beautiful out. Hopefully, it's 70, sunny, you're wearing shorts, and it's December. So, I don't know how many of you were in band as a kid. I was. Uh, and I was proud of it. I got to tell you, I love music, uh, playing music. I loved, and, um, I played the sax for six years. And one of the biggest regrets I have is that I gave it up. I really, really wish I had not, because this was when I was between, I think third grade and like, uh, seventh grade or something, second grade and seventh grade. I don't know what it was, but it was when I was like in elementary school until I got to mid, um, uh, what do you call that? Um, junior high and uh, I still played and then I gave it up right before high school but I got really really good at it and I I loved it and then I just stopped loving it for whatever reason I just felt like I wasn't challenged or I wasn't playing music that I liked but all stuff that actually applies to leadership but I do remember this one time where I was playing in the band and uh, I was I was good. I was one of the best, I think, in the band. I'm not being egotistical, but I was pretty good. I knew new music and I knew how to play. And uh, my uh, orchestra instructor, band instructor, came to me one day. He said, listen, I want you to lead band practice today. I actually want you to uh, take the, uh, you know, take the leadership role. I want you to lead band practice today. And uh, I got confidence in you, and I just want to see how you do with it. I'm like, really? Wow, that's kind of neat. So I did, and it was weird. You know, we kind of struggled through it, but it was really cool to get that opportunity to run band practice. And I remember the feeling that that gave me at that time was, wow, that's kind of neat that uh, I get an opportunity to do something that nobody else gets a chance to do. I guess my band, my leader, my conductor feels like I'm one of the best, uh, one of the best or the best. In any event, it was a really cool deposit in the emotional bank account. And it actually got me re-engaged because it was a point where I was starting to, and maybe he saw it. Maybe he saw that I was starting to, you know, uh, check out a little bit and lose interest because it was right around that time where I just kind of felt like, eh, I want to get into sports and stuff like that. So maybe it was his intent that he wanted to get me re-engaged. Maybe he just wanted to recognize me, reward me. Maybe he just wanted the day off. I don't know. I mean, he was there. He watched me do it. But I remember uh, feeling like this whole surge of excitement. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. And, uh, you know, my friends in the band were like, well, you did a pretty good job. And some of them were like, oh, you kind of sucked. Whatever. It didn't matter. I got to do something that nobody else got to do. And it was a great 
example of leadership that Mike Conductor, whether he realized it or not, displayed that day. And I don't think I realized it. I didn't know what leadership was. I had no idea. But here he did something that executives, smart leaders, smart CEOs, smart business owners do with their top people. They let them do things that other people don't do. They give them authority or power or ownership on something that others don't have. And that's a great thing you can do for your top people. It's not only a great thing, it's a necessary thing. Now, I know there's sometimes, and I'll give you an example. There's, there's a lot of leaders that have great intentions. They want to be very hands-on. And they look at being a hands-on leader as being a great thing. Hey, I'm really involved in the business. I know every part of the business. I'm touching every part of the business. Everything kind of flows through, through me. You've heard me talk a lot on this podcast about the fact that what that does more times than not is it slows down an organization. I'm not saying there's not times to be hand, uh, time to be hands-on, but there's a balance. I've seen leaders that do this way too much. And I'll give you an example and I'll tell you from the, the followers standpoint. So I was uh, working at Ameriprise running a region in D.C. So I was overseeing, I forget what it was, maybe 150 or 200 people at that time. And I had seven branch managers underneath of me. So each branch manager ran an office. I ran D.C., Virginia, Maryland. And um, each of these branch managers was tasked with recruiting people to the organization. That was a really important role that that branch manager had. It was an important role that is the regional VP that I oversaw and I also had as well. And we typically were bringing on experienced advisors that were in the business for 10, 15, 20 years. We had a small allotment, I guess you'll call it, of the ability to hire novice advisors. We, we had, you know, maybe 20% of our advisors or so that we'd recruit each year would be inexperienced advisors coming from another field. Uh, now, we didn't, it wasn't like we we're paying them a lot of money. I mean, it was mostly, it was a little bit of a stipend and it was mostly commissioned. The experienced advisors, we were paying them a lot of money because it was paying them to bring over their book of business. And that's very common in the investment world. But these inexperienced advisors, it really wasn't that much on the line uh, in reality, you know, and the success rate is really hit or miss. It's really tough business coming into the business. In any event, I'd been in the business for 20 years at that point. I've hired countless hundreds and hundreds of advisors uh, through that period of time, uh, if not thousands. Uh, so I certainly knew what to look for. My branch managers I had 100% confidence in because they themselves were advisors and leaders for many, many years. They knew it inside and out. They knew how to look for and hire these types of advisors. So what we did was there was a process, an interview process, and in bringing this person on, the branch manager had to approve it. Uh, I had to approve it as well, which I felt was needed. This was somebody in my region, so I needed to and wanted to look at this person. But to be honest with you, I probably didn't. For my best branch managers, I look back and there were there were several of them that I had full confidence in. They had a great track record. I didn't really need to be involved in that at all. But it was expected that I was involved and it was really kind of dictated down that, listen, this person does not get an offer unless the RVP has met with them. Okay. All right. I get it. You know, that's, that is what it is. Now I was an officer of the company at this point of this multi-billion dollar organization. And, uh, so I get it. Okay. I'm interviewing them, but 
The next part of it was after I okayed them and my branch manager okayed them, then they had to go to an interview with my boss who was uh, a, a leader of the whole country. So here was the senior VP, and I know his intent was very good. He wanted to be hands-on, but here's what this did. One is once I approved it, now this person coming in with no experience in the industry got green light, got the thumbs up from my branch manager. I interviewed him or her, got the thumbs up from me, and then they had the interview with the senior VP that ran the whole country. And what it did was a few things. One is it sent a clear, now I, I was one of the top RVPs at that time. We had a really strong momentum, positive year. And it wasn't, and even the number one, two, three in the country, didn't matter where you stood, you were still expected to have this senior VP interview your people. So it wasn't like it was just for certain RVPs, it was for everybody. Now what it did was it took that senior VP's time, a lot of time. I mean, it wasn't like a small group. This was all across the country. So it was a big time suck on his part. What it did was it slowed the process down big time. Because now this extra step in coordinating and getting on his schedule was really not easy to do. Um, more importantly, it sent a really clear, strong, negative message to me. Now, regardless of whether I could say, yeah, you know what, everybody's got to deal with it too. It still told me, that he didn't have confidence in my ability to make a decision or the other RVPs across the country who had been doing it, most of them, longer than I had been doing it. Why? And then the other thing it did was it it sent a negative message to the recruit coming in because I have to think, if I was coming into an organization, I have to assume that the people that I'm interviewing first, if it's gotta go all the way up to the senior VP, I'd kind of be scratching my head to say, well, how come the RVP can't make a decision to hire me or this branch manager? Who am I actually working for? Am I working for the senior VP? Is that the person that I'm reporting to when I come in? Not the case, but that's the message that it sends. Um, bottom line is it really just sent a very unintentional negative message. It was demoralizing. Uh, it made that recruit question, you know, who's really got the authority. Um, again, it slowed the process down, which in recruiting speed has a lot to do with it because you're comp it's competitive. You've got other firms that are trying to recruit these people. Uh, it took more time in the C SVP's plate. I don't know how many hours a month he had to do this, but it was a lot, a lot, a, a significant amount of things that that time he could have been spending doing other things that were more productive. This was a really low level task. Um, and then of course it sent the message that he just didn't trust my judgment. So here's an easy thing you can do as leaders and you can see and, and connect the dots here to understand when a leader, if that senior VP had said, listen, John, I've got confidence in you. I trust your decision-making. Don't worry about it anymore. You don't have to have, you just, if you want to hire this person, go for it. What that would have done is sent a really positive, all the opposites of what I just said, it would have sent a really positive message to me. Uh, so as a leader, look for your top people, look for ways in which you can do this. I don't care what it is. I mean, have your top player uh, coach practice one day. Uh, have your top person, and, and here's what it should go with. It should go with, hey, uh, Sarah, I've got a lot of confidence in you. You have demonstrated just a great skill set. I have total faith in you. I want you to run practice. 
I know it's going to be a great practice. It's probably going to be better than any of the, any of the ones that I lead. Um, wow, what a powerful message, right? Sarah's going to feel great about that, be motivated, and that's going to really recharge her battery if she happens to be, you know, running a little uh, low. Um, you know, hey, listen, uh, Jim, I trust your opinion. You don't need my approval on this expense category anymore. Okay, I trust your judgment. If you think it makes sense, go for it. Wow, Jim's going to be totally fired up. Um, hey, listen, uh, Kelly, you, you've done a great job. I got total confidence in you. Why don't you take the lead on this project? I don't need to be there. You don't need me there. Just check in with me once a week or whatever. Just give me a, a status update on it, but you run with it. And I got total confidence that it's going to get done the right way. What a powerful message. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you can do this. Hey, listen, uh, Bill, you can formulate the offer for uh, anybody we're bringing on. I, you don't need my opinion. If you want my opinion, great, but I trust you totally. That's fine. Um, go for it. Uh, all this stuff is really going to make put huge deposits in the emotional bank account with your people. Look for ways you can do this with your kids as parents. I mean, honestly, if you've been taking care of something, give them something that they can do. And may, it doesn't have to be a chore, but if you give them an allowance or whatnot, uh, or you know, you, you do something financially with them, uh, or you've been investing for them, give them money and let them choose an investment. Hey, listen, you know what? You pick something out that you think makes sense. Um, or give your, you know, one of the greatest things you can do, I think, as a kid, as a parent, as a parent, I think one of the greatest things as a kid is when you finally let that kid stay by themselves without a babysitter. Wow, what a cool thing. I mean, I remember that. And it was like, okay, my parents really trust me. Okay, I'm an adult. More times than not, that's going to result very, very positively in just building their confidence, the trust that you have in them, um, little things like that. So whatever your role, doesn't matter if you're a formal leader or not, you can do this with people in your life to just put confidence, infuse confidence in them, show them that you trust them, give them an opportunity to succeed, give them an opportunity to take the training wheels off, so to speak, give them an opportunity to do it on their own without your involvement there, and you will see this person grow and they will be unbelievably thankful to you. So uh, in any event, a couple stories to illustrate the point, but this is something that is so important. So leaders, pay attention to this. Just look today. Is there something that you can do like this to reward, to recognize your top people or top person or top people? Do it with a few people, whatever, but take a step. Think about it today. What's one thing you can do in this area? Something that you've been requiring them to do that they don't have to anymore. Um, so in any event, uh, hope this helped. Uh, as always, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate your ideas. Again, many of the ideas I get from you, things that you might have on your mind, questions. Hey, how would I was in this situation? How would you handle this? Whatever the case is, I'll bring it here. We'll do a podcast on it. I'll give you some recognition on it. And uh, as always, I appreciate the likes, the subscribes, the shares, all that kind of stuff. And go down below, give a five-star review, and I will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader for suggestions or inquiries about having me at your next event or personal coaching. Reach me at john at loritogroup.com. Once again, that's J-O-H-N at L-A-U-R-I-T-O-G-R-O-U-P.com. Thanks. Lead on.